go back to Hebrews chapter number 3 and 4. And chapter 4 says the Word of God is? Wonderful words of life. See, there it is. Okay, so we're just saying what the text is talking about there. And uh, so a great song, hopefully, and encourage your heart. And uh, I know some of you are shocked that my wife and I sing, but we actually do. We do it every week. But uh, we just don't do a lot of singing here because uh, when we do, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. Okay, everybody knows that um, we just do it on the side. Okay, but um, some of you do it a little bit more on the full-time nature of things. But um, I did. I was in choir. I was in choir in college. I really was, believe it or not. And uh, uh, it's hard to believe. I don't. You say, do you play an instrument? I used to play the trumpet. I did, uh, my parents did everything that my wife didn't. What I mean by that is, my, my parents let me quit piano, they let me quit trumpet, and my wife would not let my girls quit piano or violin. Okay, so you can see that uh, I'm thankful for my parents, don't get me wrong, but I don't play the trumpet. I could try, but uh, you wouldn't enjoy it at all, and uh, it would be pretty sad. And uh, sometimes I pick up the baritone, some of you know what I'm talking about, because that mouthpiece works a little bit better. I still know the fingering, but that's about it. But, um, and uh, I can't play the piano. That would be an absolute disaster as well. So um, moral of the story is, don't let your kids quit. That's the moral of the story. I remember years ago when Terry Lena was just a little thing, I said, if you could quit violin, would you? And I remember she looked at me, she said, absolutely, <laughs> I'd quit it. And I asked that a few years ago, she said, no, I don't think I'd quit it. Okay, so um, uh, that's what the whole idea is, is to get to the point where they embrace the instrument. Okay, let's just, since it's confession time, how will you admit that you started an instrument and your parents let you quit? Okay, there you are. Okay, so uh, don't let your kids do that. Okay, so uh, that's the moral of the story there. And uh, uh, how many know that Pastor Van Gelderen actually played the trombone and didn't quit? Anybody know that? Yeah, okay, he was actually really good. He played in the Hinsdale High School uh, band, marching band, and he was student conductor. And um, uh, one of the times he got up to lead, he had the, I was in some of his concerts that uh, I think one of the concerts I remember him leading in. Of course, when he went to college and pursued a ministry, that, of course, became secondary, uh, as it is to this day. But um, uh, he was uh, getting up. He had such a good testimony in high school. He was getting up to lead the song, and they had all planned ahead of time not to play the song that he thought they were going to play, and they started playing some kind of country song called Son of a Preacher Man. And uh, <laughs> so you can see Pastor Van Gelderen leading a country song, uh, Son of a Preacher Man. Okay, <laughs> might give you a little humorous moment there. It was not his fault, of course, but... Uh, that's uh, just kind of the way it is. I've never heard that. Of course, I'm not into country music, so I don't. how many know Son of a Preacher Man? Okay, okay, so some of you do have a little bit. I appreciate your honesty, okay. It's just like years ago, my wife, uh, uh, my wife had a, a column that we would send a little newspaper, a war report, and she had a, a little, um, uh, you know, kind of ask me question, kind of a Dear Abby type thing. And uh, somebody joked along the way. They said, you ought to change the name of that thing to Help Me Rhonda. But anyway, um, only those of you that know a little bit about the Beach Boys know what I just said. Okay, but anyway, so I didn't know that was a rock song, but obviously I found out that it was. Okay, how many knew that too? Okay, Help Me Rhonda. Okay, maybe some of you did. So most of you didn't. Okay, don't worry. We won't send you to the dean's office. Those things happen. Okay, so um, I understand. Particularly if you live down south and work at Bojangles, you're going to hear a lot of things, okay? <laughs> so, um, so Quincy probably knows the whole southern country around. He can probably tell you it all, so uh, what's going on? But, um, uh, but anyway, I don't know where I went with that. Uh, 
I was thinking, we were thinking of resurrecting that and have my wife do Help Me Rhonda and Mrs. Bosler do Dear Abby. Okay, but anyway, so, uh, so anyway, I wasn't planning on saying any of that, but anyway. Okay, let's do a quick uh, just kind of review where we are. And what we're talking about here is right here in uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 is we're talking about the fact of... Um, uh, decisions uh, that would lead you into rest. In other words, so what God's been doing in your heart, our burden is that you'd hold fast to your profession and really allow these, uh, these hortatory subjunctives to help you live a life that is characterized by rest. I think every one of you in this room, if you're not living a life that is characterized by rest, you certainly would want to. And certainly Hebrews 3 and 4 gives us some real help. I remember years ago, my dad uh, uh, preaching several times, it was kind of a message he would preach when he preached out, and that was the message, carcasses in the wilderness. And he preached a message out of uh, Hebrews chapter 3 on the subject of unbelieving believers. Unbelieving believers. Did you know there's such a thing as unbelieving believers? Did you know that? How many in this room are believers? Raise your hand, please. Okay, how many of you have ever doubted God? Okay, there you are, unbelieving believers, okay? That's what uh, uh, Hebrews 3 is challenging us not to be unbelieving believers. And if you look at the last verse of chapter number 3, look what it says. So we see, okay, talking about this illustration out of the life of Israel, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, there it is. So we know that characterizing chapter 3 is unbelief. And that certainly is something for all of us. If you live a life that is characterized by lack of rest, I can tell you this, you have a life that is characterized by unbelief. They go together. Unbelief goes together with a lack of rest. And then, of course, into chapter number 4, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I want to just say a word about verse number 2. It says, For unto us was the good news or the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Personally, what was the good news? What was the good news that Moses preached? Think about that for a moment. What was the gospel, the good news that Moses preached? And here was the good news at Kadesh Barnea. See that land over there? If you'll trust God, He's already given it to you. Go take what he's already given it to you. That's good news, isn't it? But did they take what God had already given? And the answer is, not until 40 years later. The good news for every single one of you is, read the Bible, and God is saying, you've got a big inheritance. Look at everything I've given you. Now go take it. See, so God is simply saying the gospel was preached unto them, the good news, just like it's preached unto us, but it didn't do them any good. God had already given them the promised land, but it didn't do any good. Why? Because they didn't believe it. And what God is saying is, don't let that happen to you. You see, if you could look into the future and knew, if you got in God's will, what it would entail, there's not a, I don't care how rebellious you would be, there's not a young person in this room, if you could look into the future and see what God's will was for your life, that you wouldn't choose it. Not a one of you would, you would choose it. Somebody said that God's will is everything that you would choose if you knew all the factors. If you knew all the facts. It's exactly what you choose. I don't care how far you are from God. If you could look into the future, you would take it. Now, what's going to keep you from getting that? It's just one thing, unbelief. Unbelief. Now, we talked at verse number 3. We'll just review that as well here. It says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. So let's just review again real quickly. Okay, what's the key factor in entering into a life of rest and, and living a life that is characterized by rest? And the answer is you must believe. Okay, it's a life of faith, a life of trust, and we just pointed out that that's what trust is. It's rest. Okay, you can't live a life of rest without uh, rest or without trust. Okay, now understanding that, we went to our 
three very important horatory subjunctions, subjunctives, excuse me, and uh, our exhortation. And uh, of course, the first one is give diligence to enter into rest, which means give diligence to nurture in faith. In other words, protect your faith, nurture it, feed it, give diligence to it, have a hunger for it, that impatient expectancy for God to do what He has promised to do. Then secondly, of course, we came to verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, our agreement. In other words, friends, it's simply this. What God shows you truth that He confronts you with, and you say, that's true. God, I needed that. I agree with that. God says, hold it fast. Now, my burden is, it was like, I think, Pastor Gilmore, we were standing together, and he said, man, this conference is like drinking out of a fire hydrant. See, some of you got really touched in one message, but guess what happened? You had another message, and you got touched in that message, and you had another message, you got touched with that message, and well, now what did I get touched with in the first message? How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, we, were, we really were. That was a great, honestly, a great opening conference. Just outstanding. Every message had something for you that could literally be life-changing. Well, it really does that kind of thing. So my burden is today, as you well know, is for you to hold it fast. Now, I've said this to my evangelistic team this. If you can't articulate it, you won't keep it. So often I'll stop for a moment and say, okay, what's God teaching you? Team, what's God teaching you? Articulate it. Somebody has said, if you'll tell somebody three times of something you learned, you'll keep it. So you ought to get in the habit of saying, hey, you know what God taught me in chapel today? This really impacted me. If you say it three times, then you'll keep it. Okay, and obviously if you write it down, you'll keep it as well, as long as you don't lose what you've written down. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how good you are on that deal. But, um, or if you put it into your device, whatever it might be. So as you well know, this is uh, simply a time where I'm going to call on a few of you, and I want you to stand and just give me one thing God taught you last week. And again, it could be 15 seconds, could be 30, probably shouldn't be more than 60. Uh, but uh, just briefly articulate this is one truth that, and it needs to be something significant in your life. God, open your eyes. It may have been something you already knew, but it just, wow. Yeah, I needed that. I agree with you, God. I needed that. Okay, hold it fast. So, I'm going to help you hold it fast by uh, giving uh, just a brief moment. Now, I hate to tell you, freshman, I'm probably going to pick a lot on you. So, get ready, freshman. I'm going to get right on you. Okay, so let's start with Ryan Whitney. Just stand and. Oh, amen, Brian. That's great. Quincy? Yeah, amen, that's good. How many of you, when he did, remember during how Harold would preach and then stop and make us apply it? You remember that? Did it get you a little uncomfortable for a moment? How about that when you're in an audience of people and you're talking to God out loud? That was pretty, I felt like I was down south again. I remember years ago I went to what they called Tabernacle Baptist Church on the other side of town in Greenville. We called it Happy Knackle. And um, <laughs> we had nicknames for all the churches and some of them weren't very good. Like one morning side we called it Boring Side. But anyway, uh, we, we, yeah, we, 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 and then the church that was slipping, it was called South Side, we called it South Slide. But anyway. <laughs> We had nicknames for all of them. Okay, all of them. That's bad. College kids do stuff like that. But anyway, 
we were over at Happy Knackle, and I, uh, I, uh, I'd never been there before, and we came into the prayer meeting, and we were going to have prayer meeting before the service. And so they said, okay, let's start the prayer meeting. And everybody started praying out loud at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was different. Okay, <laughs> but anyway, I had a hard time agreeing with anybody, okay? <laughs> I could hardly agree with myself. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, when we were praying together and thanking the Lord, how many would say that when you praise the Lord, with, prayed with somebody, and then when you thank the Lord out loud, that there was a spiritual lift in your heart. Just raise your hand. See, see that was remarkable. Just remarkable. So thank you, Quincy, for that. Uh, testimony? Grace, I'm sorry. You caught my eye, and you're a freshman. So if I look at you and you're a freshman, you're probably standing. Okay. <laughs> Amen. That's great. Okay, I'm sorry I should know your name, but Miss Stratton? <laughs> Since you're outgoing and always talking about everybody and anything, okay, so. <laughs> yeah, God has a sense of humor. Okay. Okay. Oh, Miss Whitney, I'm sorry. I saw you too. You're a freshman, aren't you? Okay, so. Are you a freshman? Is it Dot? Are you a freshman? Okay. Can you speak English? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I, I, if you felt just, okay. Amen? Amen. How many of you would say that since the message I'm preaching to yourself, you've really let yourself have it a few times, okay? I've preached to yourself, okay? That's good stuff, isn't it? I'm especially all you preacher boys. You don't get a lot of opportunities to preach. Preach to yourself, okay? Because he's the biggest sinner you know about. So go after that guy and you'll be in good shape. Okay, Jeshua, I think I saw you over there. I know you were trying to hide, but anyway. <laughs> That's excellent, Jeshua. Wonderful. Great decision. Wonderful. Uh, Sam?
why the Bible is true. And I don't need these evidence to know why the Bible is true. Because, you know, God has changed my life. And my client needs to see that client even standing here right now. <laughs> Just to remind myself of that is key. But also, being ready to get an answer to somebody as to why I believe the Bible. That God really strengthened my faith and his elaboration through Almost every preacher boy needs to know this. Probably you girls too, I can't speak as dogmatically. At least once in your training, you will probably be hit with great senses, of, a great attack of skepticism from the enemy. And it's something that seems to mark every preacher boy that's ever used of God will get hit from the devil at some angle of some kind of skepticism. How many of you older preacher boys would say, yeah, that happened to me? Raise your hand, please. Okay. And God will bring you through that and actually firm up your faith. And uh, it is something probably one of these times I ought to preach on that because it is a real reality. Some of you younger guys that are and maybe get hit with that don't think that's unusual. The enemy's trying to knock you out. And uh, that's why uh, college is so important. You're in a place that will nurture your faith. Okay, Taylor? I think God has that for you every day. What do you think? I think it's every day. Okay, Isaac? Again, I know we bring up that talking to yourself, but I just thought that was so practical. Again, wish I'd heard that when you're your age because it just is. And by the way, you can't preach to yourself if you don't have a Bible to preach. See, see, it's the Word of God is what this passage is talking about, is what you preach to yourself. Because it's the Word of God that feeds your faith. So um, that's why it's important to memorize, meditate, and have something's going on in your brain. And that's wonderful. Okay, Miss Rincon, I should tell you your first game name. Are you a freshman? You're a sophomore, isn't that terrible? Okay, I missed it. I'll still have you go. I'll, sophomores, I might get you too, so go ahead and stand. Yeah. I thought it was, but I didn't want to stick my foot in my mouth. My girls talk about you, so anyway, it's all good. That is tremendous. That came from Brother Bosler's message. I thought that was very helpful because most of us are content with 65% of doing God's will, and then I'll take the other 35 and do what I want to do. And uh, I thought that was very convicting, very helpful. Okay, Timothy, Dalian. That assignment was another good one, boy, I'm telling you what. Man, I'm telling you, there's nothing like being on the assignment, brother. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. Okay, uh, Jeremiah. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's very good. Yeah, because praise is not tied to anything you're asking for. It's just who God is. That, that was a very helpful, the praise protocol was very, very helpful, that little message he did. In fact, I think we're hoping to get uh, each of those protocols out as a separate podcast on degeneration and hoping to do that, but uh, good. Juliana, I know you're not a freshman. Go ahead. I'm going to hit some of you a little over now. So. Okay, Jesse? That is good. That is really good. <laughs> Sounds basic, but it's really good. Luke, I mean, you may give testimony the other day, but go ahead. Crowick, I get you here. I know you're a sophomore, but anyway, like I said. David Terry? There's no overlap between faith and discouragement, no doubt about that. Okay, good. Well, I think, uh, I think we'll call that for the moment, but uh, I hope that just the exercise of writing something down, let me encourage you in the next few weeks just to review those things. Because you know what you're going to find? Some very important critical decisions can just kind of drift off. And I've had some BCM students say, you know, I thought it was a truth I would never lose, but it just kind of dim, and then later on I heard it, I realized, you know, I've let that slip in my life. And of course, Hebrews earlier on talks about the drifting or the slipping in the Christian life. And so, um, so anyway, just want to encourage you about holding fast that which you have agreed with God about, that which the Holy Spirit said. I, I, put, the, I put this ministry, the Holy Spirit, this way. He's the divine amener. He's the divine amener. Have you ever been hearing a message and the Holy Spirit says, amen, brother, that's good. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, you needed that. That was for you. <laughs> 
and uh, it's, uh, he comes to your front porch and rings your doorbell, okay, and says that one's for you. So as we talked a little bit about yesterday. So the second one is let's hold fast our confession, our profession, what we agree with God about. Now that brings us then to one last one. Now look at verse number 15. I wanted just to point out a couple things here. And verse 15, of course, you, you have uh, several things that uh, complement these, these uh, subjunctives, these uh, exhortations. But notice what he says in verse 15, why should we hold fast to our profession? For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now most of the time when we read that, that doesn't impact us. You know why? We very well, Jesus was God. You know what the word infirmities is? It's that word strengthlessness. Now, I don't understand everything about the kenosis or the emptying, but I will say enough about this. Jesus Christ laid aside certain parts of His deity. Don't get me wrong. He was all completely deity. But He, he chose to lay that aside. Why? Because He wanted to live the human life to show us how we can do it. Because I'm not divine. See, if He hadn't laid a part as divine, we would have just said, well, Jesus is God. In other words, it's like this. Jesus had to depend on God to do miracles just like you need to. So when it says that he understands the feelings of our infirmities, it's saying this, that he understands what it is to be completely strengthless just like you and dependent on somebody else's strength other than his. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to get into heresy here because Dr. Paul might talk to me later on. But I will say this, that's stunning. Which means every time Jesus was tempted, he tapped into the strength that God had readily available to him, just like you and I need to. So in a certain sense, when you are tempted, Jesus understands temptation. Is that what the text says? Tempted at all points, like as we are. Now, I'm not trying to get uncomfortable here, but I want you to get the impact of this. Now, I, and I'm not trying to be irreverent in any way, but I want you to get the impact because some of you young men need to hear this. Was Jesus tempted with lust? And the answer is, yeah, he had to be. Did he sin? And the answer is obvious. Well, no, he didn't. So can I say this? Jesus knows what it is to be tempted and need divine aid just like you do. Now, that's stunning to me. It's stunning to me. Now, he did it perfectly. We obviously will never do it perfectly, but he did do it perfectly because he never sinned. He was yet without sin. The text makes it very clear. Although he was tempted, he never sinned. But he was tempted just like we are, and he did it without sin, and he understands our infirmities are totally uh, are being devoid of strength. He understands that. He understands what it is to be a human being who needs to tap into divine aid in order to live the Christian life. He understands that more than you think he does. So what this, this text is telling us is what you need to understand is hold on to what you agree with God about. Hold on to Bible truth. Hold on to your profession, your confession. Hold on to these uh, truths. And the reason you need to do that is because God, very clearly, Jesus understands what it means to be tempted, and He knows the way out. He knows the way out. Which brings us to the final horatory subjunctive here, and it's the verse that probably most of you have memorized, but look what it says there in verse number 16. Therefore, I'm going to put that first, 
Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Based on what we just learned about Jesus, God says there's something you need to do. You need to go to the throne of grace to find two things. Now, the throne of grace is interesting in and of itself. The throne of grace. How much grace is there? More grace than you will ever need. It's the abundant grace throne. It's the grace that will never run out. It's the exhaustive grace throne. It's the throne that is just full of, of divine, divine aid, help. Okay, Grace, by the way, we're going to get to this in a moment, is a very interesting word we'll talk about in a moment. But first of all, mercy. What does mercy infer? And it infers this, you need it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. If you and I got what we deserve, we'd die in our sins and go to hell. We'd already be there if we got what we deserved. We're not asking for mercy. See, uh, I mean, we're not asking for, uh, I mean, we are asking for mercy. Mercy is what God gives us. It's the, uh, it's the, the wonder, it, it, and mercy infers that we need it, which means infers that we sinned. So the very first thing God says here is, when you do sin, you need to go to the throne of grace, and you need to get right with God, you need to confess, you need to be honest with God, and you need to get that mercy applied. I don't know about you, friends, I am grateful for God's mercy, aren't you? And I will tell you this, and all of us know this, but you need God's mercy every day. Now, not only do we need His mercy, the Bible says the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help. When? Time of need. Now, when is your time of need? Now, you probably are better a Christian than I am. You know what my time of need is? 24-7. <laughs> like every time, every day, every second is a time of need. Now, I understand there are times where we have a greater need than we do at other times. But we are needy people. If you really grasp who you are, you realize that you need God all the time. <laughs> See, that's why prayerlessness is such a great sin, because prayerlessness, friends, is really assuming that you don't need God when you desperately do. So when you know I don't pray, we're basically saying, I can do this without God. There's greater sin than that, but I won't go into that right now. But that's a great sin. But here's the, here's the issue I want you to understand about grace. Grace, there's many things about grace. Grace is such a big word, it's extremely hard to define. I put it this way, grace is God intersecting with man. It's anything God gives us that we don't deserve, which means anything He gives us we don't deserve. Grace is, is, it is strength, it is enablement, it is all that, but grace is more than that. Grace is peace, grace is fulfillment, grace is satisfaction, grace is, is wisdom, grace is anything God gives you. So could we put it this way, mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. See, mercy takes care of the negative, and grace puts us into the positive. You tracking with me on the deal? Mercy means I've sinned. I need mercy. Grace means I don't want to sin. See, years ago I read a, a book by, uh, I won't say who, but it was a book on the cross-centered life, I think it was. And uh, it was more of, some of you familiar with the verse, a little more in the evangelical world. And it, it was not a bad book in the sense that the truth of the book was good, but the truth was all about reveling in the fact that Jesus took your place and your sins are forgiven. The book was all about mercy. Now, I am not diminishing mercy. And I want to tell you, friend, if all God did was give us mercy so we didn't get what we deserve, that would be more than we deserve, right? 
Just not going to hell would be a big deal. But the book missed something. You know what the book missed? He kind of missed the stuff. You know, we're all sinners. We're all bad people. And hallelujah, let's rejoice and thank God that he forgives and he took our place and all that kind of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all great for that. There was nothing wrong with that. But that's not what I was expecting the book to be. I was expecting the book to be identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so you don't have to sin. That's what I was expecting the cross-centered life to be. Living in the reality of our deadness to sin and our aliveness to Jesus Christ so that we could be graced so that we didn't have to live defeated lives. So coming to the throne of grace, friend, is not just, God, forgive me, I blew it. It's, God, I don't want to do it anymore. God, I want to change. I want you to do something big in my life. God, I want to be all you want me to be. God, I need grace. And friends, you and I obviously need bucket loads of grace. Well, that's not even good. I say truck loads, barge loads, uh, full. I don't know. I, we need to need a lot of grace every day. And some of you need a whole lot more grace than you think. Just ask your roommates. You need grace. And all I want to tell you, friends, is, is this. Every one of you in this room, God wants is, how do I put this? He wants to be changing your life. Some of you he is. And he started last week and has been with these messages. And all I want you to understand is God's giving you three exhortations. Are you nurturing your faith? Are you doing that, spending time in God's word, nurturing what God did in your heart? Asking God to build your faith and that you can continue to live a life of rest. Number two, uh, are you uh, holding fast to what you God's dealt with you about, you agreed with God about. And number three, are you developing a habit of coming to God for forgiveness, for mercy, and for grace to help in time of need so you don't need to come and ask for forgiveness? You can live a life in victory. So God gives us these, and these three horatory subjunctives, I believe, friends, are telling you how to live a life of rest. When you can come to Jesus and get right and get mercy and then get grace for help in the future, wow, that's a life of rest, isn't it? If you live a life expecting Jesus to show up and to solve your problems and meet your needs and to help you out, that's going to be a life of rest, if you really believe it. And if you know Jesus can forgive you and cleanse you and move you on and give you victory where you've been defeated, wow, that gives you a lot of rest, doesn't it? So let me encourage you, each one of you, what God's doing in your heart Remember this, the big thermometer of whether or not you're living a life of faith is rest. When you are not in rest, you are not in Hebrews 4, you're in Hebrews 3. When you're living in rest, you're in Hebrews 4, which is what? Ceasing from your own self-dependent works, resting in Jesus Christ, His ability to forgive, His ability to cleanse, His ability to enable, His ability to show you His will and uh, give you fulfillment and satisfaction and enablement in that will. It's just a great place to live. And I would see many of you know what I'm talking about to some degree. Yeah, preacher, there was a time in my life when I lived that way. And I hope it's today. Let's hope it's today. By the grace of God, let's leave chapel today. By the grace of God, living in rest, you can step into rest right now. And I'm not talking about closing your eyes and checking out. I'm talking about I'm expecting God to show up. Man, I'm expecting to show up all day long. Are you? You excited about what God's teaching you? Hanging on to what He's doing? Okay, there it is. Let's live the life of rest. Let's pray.